Hello and welcome to Cancrea, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. And I'm Sebastian. And I am in the uh, a truly lovely locale right now. Uh, I am in Victoria, BC, home of CFUVFM. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it is it is damp and it is cold. And I will tell you something. Um, we went outside yesterday and uh, I was out for maybe 30 seconds, maybe mm-hmm. a minute tops. Yes. And I turn to my friend Glenn and my face lit up and I said, I am cold. And I was so happy about this. <laughs> and it, it might be strange, but in Ottawa, when it's cold, it's cold and your skin sort of shrinks onto your bones and it's mm-hmm. dry. And, mm-hmm. you know, you feel like, um, you know, uh, like you, you know, you have to tell Tony Stark that you don't feel so good. You know, it's mm-hmm. just, it's not, it's not a great uh, a vibe, but this was like, a deep bone chilling cold. And I was okay. like, why is my voice shivering? Like, why am I, like, why am I, like, what, what is happening? And it was that damp cold. And it's it reminded cold, me, yeah. yeah, it reminded me of Wales, which is perpetually damp. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I was, I was momentarily pleased. Yeah. When I lived in Hong Kong, it was so, da- well, no, there, there was two months of the year that is so incredibly damp. It's just like the damp season, basically. Uh, when people put up posters around town, they just put them against a wall and rub their hand over it. There's no glue on the back. <laughs> and you know there's no glue on the back because at the end of the damp season, everything just falls onto the street. Oh, wow. So but they just it, go around and sweep them up? Yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, it's that's... Hong Kong. The the. I mean, I loved the place. And with all due respect, and I think everyone who's lived in Hong Kong would say the same thing. The place was a trash heap. It's kind of like, mm. you know, the, the the stereotype of New York. You know, it's disgusting. It's smelly. It's rude. It's in your face. And I miss it. So, I mean, it's that that's yeah, damp, 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 damp. And me, who used to have childhood asthma, I love that cold damp. You know, like if you go into a walk in freezer and it's just that not cold damp, sorry, uh, dry cold, mm. and it's that dry cold that just makes your lungs blossom open. Yeah, yeah, that's sort of yeah. like when you lean into a freezer to get the that that one freezy from the bottom and you want that blue one and you, you, you lean in and your head is in the thing and you get that that mouthful of cold freezer air. We're going to move on. Uh, so uh-huh. later in the show, we have an interview with the unbelievably talented Reverend Sherry DeNovo, a truly brilliant uh, uh, individual that I was able to speak to. We had lined up the interview for around Christmas. We it, It's a conversation about queer folks and faith. Although, you know, and, and our listeners, I'm sure you will appreciate this. Yes. Uh, it occurred to us that it was going to broadcast and be carried all over the place the week after Christmas. And okay. nobody, nobody wants to hear Christmassy <laughs> stuff after Christmas. After Christmas, yeah. So we we did you a solid. We, <laughs> we, we didn't put it out. But the conversation about queer folks and faith and sort of, you know, the things that happened with the Catholic Church in the last year very very interesting conversation we've kept that there may be the odd reference here and there to christmas but it is mostly a conversation on queer folks and faith so that will be happening in a few moments later on in the show but first of all i want to talk about madonna oh do we have to not the madonna well i suppose she might be called the madonna by some gays but madonna uh, the incredible uh, musician who has, you know, a career spanning, you know, every decade ever. So not uh, the Madonna it, that you see in your toast, the Madonna that you see on MTV. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Uh, she God. is at the center of a federal, U.S. federal class action lawsuit. Oh. 
And do you want to guess why people are suing uh, Madonna? I genuinely don't know. I, I, something to do with false advertising or something. Class action lawsuits, they, they rarely pass the sniff test in the US. They have a very low tolerance for them. So I'm willing to bet it has something to do with concert tickets or false advertising or she was involved in some kind of a, a charity but didn't actually donate properly or something. I don't know. We would but, never accuse her of falsely donating like that's you know we, we that uh -huh. wouldn't be but you were very 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 close so oh. uh in a, a recent gig in uh new york state madonna's show was supposed to start at about 8 30 p.m and then you know wrap up two and a half three hours later you know it's a late night but you can get home and do what you must it didn't begin until 10 30 p.m okay so a bunch of people have claimed that uh, they had an early day at work and the 1 a.m. finish time, because she was so late starting, uh, meant that they, you know, weren't able to be as effective or available for work in the morning. Mm -hmm. And she, by being so late to her own concert, had caused them actual harm. Okay. So essentially, the, it's a case of negligent misrepresentation. Oh. She said, we're starting at this time, it'll end at this time, and it was actually multiple hours later that it actually started. Now, is this really about Madonna, or is it about concerts and tickets and events where it's like, yeah, you know, yeah. it'll start eight-ish, it goes much later. You know, I Maybe remember... Madonna was on gay time. It was three years ago, I think four years ago, when Eddie Izzard came to town and you and I were talking about it. And in the end, I just looked up the start and finish times and I said, I do not trust local transit to still be running when the event closes. And I do yeah. not trust my yeah. ability to get home before transit shuts down because events like this, they tend to run half an hour to an hour late anyway. They can go later if there's like an encore, or if there's an issue. Uh, and then it's just an issue of trusting local transit and the place where it was scheduled to happen was in the middle of bloody nowhere where they assume everyone has a pickup truck and they can four by four over the wild hills to get there. Not yeah. really, but that's what it feels like. So, I mean, I can only imagine uh, sort of similar things. I can imagine being stranded in the middle of nowhere at three in the morning and just saying, well, I guess I'm sleeping in a bus shelter like that. That can happen with 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 events that do not finish on time. It's so weird, but yeah, no, you, you can't imagine being caused physical harm by a thing not closing on time. If it's January at 4 a.m. and you're in the middle of nowhere and there's no way home and your battery ran out on your phone and now you can't call Uber to pick you up and there's no cabs. Like, it's just, you, you can imagine that kind of thing happening. Well, it seems like Madonna's fans have simply run out of patience. This isn't the first time that she started two hours or more late. In mm -hmm. her various tours, she is routinely on what's been coined Madonna time, okay. which is typically about two hours late. In Melbourne, she didn't start the show. The doors didn't open until 11 p.m. She started at about 10 to 1 in the morning, and then it, clo it finished at 3 a.m. in the morning. Now, when you're expecting to start, around 9 10 ish mm -hmm. and you're stood there and you're waiting but what boggles my mind is it's madonna like surely she knows where the venue is <laughs> you know she can she can get there but well, it's a chronic issue so yeah it's live not about madonna my sued. thing is does she not have handlers mm -hmm. 
Because when you're that big, it's not like you drive yourself to the to the venue. You're going to be in a bus with a load of people with you. You're going to have handlers. You're going to have a manager. You're going to have a you know somebody, some roadies of some kind or another, including staff and security who are with you to make sure you get there safely. You get there on time. You're you're taken care of. You're paid for your time. Blah blah blah. You're going to have people there. I mean, we we you and I have interviewed smaller acts. Don't want to say small acts, but smaller acts. And they I mean, had smaller staff. than Madonna, yeah. Smaller than Madonna. And they had staff who made sure that everything happened on time. So I don't know. This is when it's that chronic, it's more than just the woman. You know, there, there's something yeah. big going on. But I think it's 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 sort of it's not just Madonna, like you said. I think it's a lot of musicians, you know, that think big gigs that don't start anywhere near on time. Anyway, the plaintiffs have alleged, and I quote: "Defendants engaged in unconscionable, unfair, and/or deceptive trade practices by offering to the public concerts that were promised to begin at eight thirty p.m., knowing that Madonna would most certainly not take the stage at the advertised time." So they're arguing that her personal track record of tardiness, uh, which the company knew about, meant that they knowingly misadvertised the start time. And okay. I think that's sort of the crux of the, the class action lawsuit. Um, now, before we jump into a story, uh, sorry, into the first song of the day, I wanted to talk briefly about a story that we had robustly rebuked last year it was a, a ridiculous story that emerged mm -hmm. where allegedly students were identifying as a cat and demanding a cat litter box in the yeah, classroom none yeah. of it was true apparently in yeah. one school in one place there was a conversation about i think gender identity and someone said you know what if i identify as a teapot or a cat and that mm -hmm. was enough well nobody told justin henfrey an okay. oklahoma a state representative. No one informed him that this was completely not real. And taking it as gospel, he introduced House Bill 3084, uh, which, among various things, uh, has, quote, the parent or guardian of a student in violation of the section should pick up the student from the school or animal control services shall be contacted to remove the student. So, just to be clear here, in Oklahoma, a man is so convinced that there mm -hmm. are furries and cats in schools that he is suggesting that animal control come and remove actual legislator. This is the man that passes laws in the state of Oklahoma. I mean, the only thing I could say about that is at least they've got it covered if chupacabras turn out to be real. This is true. Yeah. yeah. But you would you would need a student to identify as a chupacabra uh, before it works. Okay. Nobody identifies as a chupacabra. You just get bitten by one and you become... It's, it's werewolf rules, more or less. It's just North American werewolves. Yeah. Okay. Also werewolves. If it turns out someone's a werewolf, you know, we got that covered too. Sort of. Really, Teen Wolf would have never been able to be recorded in Oklahoma. That's the gist I'm getting from this. No basketball for Michael J. Fox is what you're saying. Absolutely. Okay, we're going to play... You're with talking about the, the show, I'm talking about the movie, but anyway. <laughs> we're going to play Weather Vane by Clara Cloud, and uh, we will be back uh, with the interview with Reverend Sherry DeNovo just after this, and then we'll wrap up after that interview. So, like I said, this is Clara Cloud with Weather Vane, and we'll be back just after this. Never heard a tornado siren But I've drawn twisters on foggy window panes 
And welcome back to Cancri, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. Uh, Sebastian is uh, indisposed. Uh, and that happens occasionally. Now, I am very excited to have a conversation with one of my favorite people, the truly talented and remarkably uh, established in the queer annals of time, uh, the wonderful Reverend Sherry Novo. You may recognize her from the Radical Reverend on, I believe, Tuesdays at CIT 89.5 FM out of Toronto. Um, Sherry, thank you so much for joining us today for our Christmas episode. Of course, it's a pleasure, Luke. Now, this has been a bit of a roller coaster year for folks of faith vis-a-vis the LGBTQ you know, movement. Um, I'm going to start off with what I think were the two biggest moments. 
And uh, if you can just sort of let me know, how did that reverberate into Canadian, you know, the, the Canadian landscape? So the big one that I think is, you know, the, the Pope. We're going to start with the Pope. And he kicked off the year with a bang. He went to the Sudan with uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury, the leader of the uh, Church of Scotland, um, and they were talking a bunch of times. And his key thing was that laws that criminalize homosexuality are themselves a sin. Um, you know, in the in the in the context of uh, a rash of new laws out of East Africa. Um, that's a really bold position by the Pope. He followed it up with blessing um, trans folks, enabling trans folks to become godparents. Uh, and you recently reminded me that he'd also blessed um, the union of two people who are same sex. Uh, not well, to be he's opened the door. He's opened the opened door. The door. It's very legalist language, but it did make international news because basically what he's saying, and I don't have the exact wording in front of me at the moment, but he was saying as long as it's not interpreted as marriage, the blessings of people in unions uh, is kind of conceivable. So, I mean, he he kind of opened the door um, on it in a way that uh, for the Vatican is pretty revolutionary, actually. Um, But more to the point, I think down in Canada, our Ontario English Catholic Teachers Association and Catholic teachers associations across the country, basically, but here in particular, have been very forward thinking. Most Catholic schools have pride flags flying. They are mandated because they're part of the public system to have uh, gay straight alliances, uh, support groups for queer kids at schools. And um, and the heads of uh, Ontario English Catholic teachers have been very uh, upfront about coming to Queen's Park and standing with queer folk for various about various issues. So we've got them on record many, many times of us doing that. Um, so, so there's hope. Um, when I was asked to comment on that in CP24, what I said is this is real, this is kudos to the, the rank and file, really. This is kudos to the people in the pews. Um, I mean, we know from uh, confidential polling of Catholic, of Roman Catholic priests that about 50% of them identify as homosexual. Wow. Um, so we know, yeah. So we, and, and about, you know, yeah, I mean, and and then many, many are sexually active, although they're not supposed to be. <laughs> um, but I mean, at the end of the day, uh, you know, uh, a change is a coming, just let's put it that way. But don't expect any miracles anytime soon. Um, meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile, the rest of us trudge, you know, trudge forward. So, yeah. I mean, I think you're absolutely right. There really is this groundswell of support for, you know, progress and, and going back to what are fundamentally core Christian values. I think it was actually the leader of the Church of Scotland who said uh, when he was interviewed about these statements, uh, sorry, the top Presbyterian, Ian Greenshields, he said that there is nowhere, and I quote, there is nowhere in my reading of the four Gospels where I see Jesus turning anyone away. And then he goes on to say, there is nowhere in the four Gospels where I see anything other than Jesus expressing love to whomever he meets. Um, you know, it, like, Far, far seems... more than that. Far, far more mm-hmm. than that. 
I mean, for example, and to bring it back to Canada, in Canada, the United Church of Canada, the largest Protestant denomination in Canada, instituted by an act of government in 25, which is, you know, quaint now, but at any rate, um, uh, has been ordaining openly gay and lesbian people since 1988. Um, uh, since uh, uh, same-sex marriage became legal, um, you know, churches have been, been forming it. I did it on the cusp. I did the first one um, just before it became, it was recognized by the, by the courts in Ontario. Um, but that's been a tradition. In terms of scripture, I do a whole presentation on on, um, on the queer Bible, essentially. Um, but suffice to say, Jesus, 2,000 years before Lady Gaga, Matthew 19, 12 says, some are born that way. He's talking mm-hmm. about eunuchs, but he's obviously, he's talking about trans folk, but he's obviously not talking about those who have been castrated if they're born that way, <laughs> uh, forcibly. Um, and he's not talking, I don't think, just about intersex folk, because I don't think he's been examining genitals. He's looking at people who are not interested in heterosexual marriage. Um, and the very first convert in Acts is a trans person of color, the Ethiopian eunuch, who Philip, the disciple, would not touch because at mm. that point um, they were considered unclean. And um, and so the trans eunuch, the eunuch, um, has to convince Philip to baptize them. And Philip does. Um, this is the very first named convert in Acts. Um, you know, there's talks about, you know, baptizing communities and blah, 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 blah before that. But this is a specific story captured by the great artists of the Renaissance, you know, the Ethiopian eunuch, this black trans person. And, and really, it goes back to Genesis first. I always say we have a trans God because the oldest version of Genesis before the Adam and Eve version, um, the oldest creation story says, you know, God created male and female in God's image, trans God. You know, it's mm-hmm. not a him. It's not a him. He. So, I mean, throughout throughout um, scripture, um, queerness exists and the texts of terror, as we call them, the texts that seem to indicate otherwise um uh, are can are can can be very easily explained contextually i mean for example leviticus um 664 different rules of which this is one well mm-hmm. why do we focus on that and not the other 663 yeah, i think <laughs> you know, clamfish like... is a, a famous <laughs> exactly. uh, example hey, wearing wearing clothes of mixed fibers is you know mm-hmm. so of the same order so you know um but anyway i mean so so uh, obviously the christian right i always say hashtag christian right is neither um uh is wrong it's simply wrong biblically so even if you want to be a literalist they're wrong um, but I mean, yeah, and and we we talked before the show about the United Methodists in the states. The problem with international denominations, um, I guess we're lucky in that sense in Canada, we're not, um, which the United Methodists are, uh, and the Anglicans are, right? Um, so you've got you've got kind of forward thinking places, and then you've got places where there's still laws in place against homosexuality all have to be kind of accommodated by vote, right? Mm. That's a problem. And that's why the United Methodists, even though if you go down to the States, um, look for the pride flags flying over the churches, basically you want to walk into, but um, many, many United Churches, uh, United Methodist churches um, and United Church of Christ, both our sister churches down there, um, are, are queer affirming, but, mm-hmm. um, but their denomination you know, did not vote that way, as neither did our Anglican church in Canada vote that way. 
yet you can find Anglican churches with pride flags flying, right? Again, it's this problem of having to please everyone, or at least the majority of everyone. I'm going to I'm going to focus a little bit now on the Anglican Church because there was a moment this year which I think really crystallizes this issue. And for those who aren't uh, aware the Church of England I believe is legally established in law in the UK and they have uh, a massive carve out from a lot of laws uh, just by virtue of the monarch being the head of the Church of England, we're going back to Henry VIII and the you know throwing at the Pope and stealing all of the the church property and divorcing his many 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 wives. Um, you know we're going all the way back to then. So in British law, the Church of England has a has a huge role, but the Church of England, i.e., the Anglican Church, has been having this push and pull on. Gay marriage. Now, gay marriage has been legal in the UK for years. And the fact that the Church of England does not perform gay marriages has been a major battle point. And what happened this year was MPs in the UK were openly discussing removing the legal protections of the Church of England unless they got their act together. You know, it's and that I think is a pretty powerful moment. Uh, needless to say, shortly afterwards, Church of England now is going to bless same sex marriages, and uh, they've suddenly discovered that they want to move forward on it. Um, but it really kind of crystallized this moment of you know, the, the Western world at least seems to have moved much further along on this. Um, is there and this is a tricky question because I am aware of the sheer volume of, in particular, United States evangelist outreach into East Africa, into the churches in those areas, and that that major influence that happens there. But there really is a, 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 a almost two worlds of Christianity emerging: the sort of Western world and a much more fundamentalist, sort of evangelist world that's got a real stranglehold over a lot of African churches and then Anglican churches in Africa and so on and so forth. You know, is how, what have you seen, you know, regarding that? Well, I mean, the Christian right has always been kind of my nemesis, right? So um, when I did the first legalized same-sex marriage and even before, I mean, I've always been debating folk, you know, that represented in Canada here, um, some of which have come over, like Michael Corrin, <laughs> to the side of light uh, over the years. But I mean, it's always been a battle. And um, and essentially, it's just hatred masquerading as religion, which happens so often in all faiths. Um, and that's what it is. has nothing Christian about it. Um, and there's nothing biblical about it. And I'm always happy to debate, but, you know, somehow they don't want to debate, you know, <laughs> they just don't want to. I mean, the current and most deadly and horrific aspect of that is this new rise of trans hatred, of transphobia, that is part and part. It's part and parcel of the rise of fascism. And if we look at the 30s in Berlin, for example, which was a, a queer Mecca in the 20s um, before the Nazis came to power, I mean, they had an institute that performed, you know, sex reassignment surgery there. They had multiple queer clubs there. Uh, and the first people that were the targets uh, when the Nazis came to power 
where those with disabilities and trans folk, even before Jews or any or communists or anybody else. So we, we've seen this picture before. We know why they're targeting them because people aren't educated about it. There's so much misconception uh, out there around trans folk and not in gender, not, not, you know, non-binary folk um, that that has not been. And that's on us in our school systems. Um, so, so it's an easy target, right? And there's not a lot of them. So, but it's happening and it's happening in Canada. It's happening everywhere. Now this is funded by the way. Um, I mean, this is, I'm going to start sounding like a conspiracy, but in fact it is. Um, I mean, if you see some of these demonstrations that have happened in Ottawa, we've seen DeSantis people, we've seen Republicans there, um, convoy people are getting their money from somewhere. You see the rise over the right, you know, we've, we've now had elections that have, installed right-wing people in New Zealand and the Netherlands and Argentina. And guess what's going to happen in Canada too, with Kualiev, if the polls hold. So um, so this is a, an international movement. Um, Polyev has talked about radical gender ideology, unquote, to quote him. Um, so we've seen, we're, we're seeing where this is going um, and the real lack of safety for trans folks. So, and the attempt, by the way, to divide the community. LB against, you know, QT kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. And um, groomers, that term, you know, that, you know, um, gays against groomers. This is an organization or supposed organization that's been putting out literature around Ontario here. So, um, so I mean, this is, this is clearly aligned um, with forces that we don't want, I, I don't think anybody would want in a democracy. Um, but I'm pointing it out because it's definitely backlash time and it's definitely backlash time against them. I think they've kind of figured out that they've kind of lost the marriage war, you know, um, and they've well, kind of figured out that, you know, gays and lesbians will always be with us. But trans folk, no, we can attack them. That's the attitude. We were talking about this a couple of weeks ago, and I, you know, I was I was pointing out that when it comes to social conservative issues, trans folks are, you know, to, to quote myself, that a bit of a soft target. You know, the the abortion debate is broadly very much settled in Canada, and I think that uh, there is no appetite to crack that open. And Poliev has also been avoiding discussing uh, a lot of the culture war topics, such as immigration, uh, that is in the states. But trans folks, easy pickings. You know, we've got Scott Moe in Saskatchewan with the notwithstanding clause use uh, against trans kids in schools. Same out in New Brunswick. You know, these are. You know, easy political wins for for conservative parties targeting what is essentially just youth. Um, there was a study that came out looking at access to trans health care in Canada. Uh, this study came out just this week, and only about 25% of trans folks indicated that they actually have any kind of access uh, in a timely fashion to health care. You know, it's it's interesting that you go all the way back to the Ethiopian eunuch and, and you know, being needed to be persuaded that they're not unclean. And you fast forward 2,023 years and, and then boom, it's the same issue. You know, do we have to treat folk, teach folks that, that trans folks and kids, you know, you can, you know, not touch them. That's not what I'm, you know what I mean? They, uh, they're not I mean- unclean. And, and I have to point out that all of this is illegal under Canadian law. That's why Scott Moe had to bring in the nuclear option, the notwithstanding clause, because, um, I mean, in 2012, the very, uh, and I was the pride grand marshal that year, the 
the I passed the first, um, it's called Toby's Law after our then music director who was trans and had died of an overdose. Um, the um, uh, So Toby's Law, which added trans rights to the Ontario Human Rights Code. And that was the first major jurisdiction in, in North America to do that. Um, and since then, it, it went from province to province to province, and then it became federal. So these, you know, trans folk are protected under our human rights. And that means they should get actual, you know, you know, equal access to law, you know, legal services, to health services, to educational services. Of course, we know they don't because it's not being enforced um, well. And um, we're hearing all sorts of horror stories. Uh, but I mean, you know, they have to go, you know, the province, uh, the pre premiers like Scott um, have to go nuclear to get to overturn it. And the fact that they're willing to do that is terrifying, mm -hmm. is absolutely terrifying for, for what? For a small, a very, very small statistically group in our population. Um, but this is, you know, this is. I, I keep using the F word, but we, you know this is fascism 101. This is you find a group that people are you know don't aren't educated about and have all sorts of superstitions around, um, and you target them and you get everybody on board. We can all hate them, right? And then you move on from there. Because guess what? Queer folk out there not going to stop there. <laughs> no, know? it won't stop with trans kids. It won't kids. stop it there. It won't stop with trans know? kids. No, for sure. You no, know? and it's not going to stop with trans folk. It's going to come find you next, right? Because I mean, they're not happy that we won, you know, equal marriage. They're not happy that people can get jobs and not get fired. Um, you know, they they will find you, and all of those conservative, you know, queer folk who are presumably out now. Um, you know, I mean, are they really? Are they really safe? I I don't think they are. And um, so so this is the times we live in, and I think that's what's so important to be. If you're out there and listening, good allies. You know, when we were preparing for this interview, Sebastian asked me a question, and it it's a it's a head scratcher. So he was asking. The question was, why is it? that Christianity has the reputation of being the most homophobic religion. You know, I think there's this perception of it, oh, and especially to, to, to queer folks. And, you know, I don't think it is, you know, not, you know, yeah. I, I, I imagine no, there's I probably mean, more out there. I mean, in fact, I would argue it's probably the most inclusive um, mm -hmm. only because it's so big, you know, in part. Um, so you've got a wing of Christianity um, that has become inclusive, uh, I think truly Christian personally, uh, over the years. I mean, so we've been ordaining women, for example, in the United Church since the 1930s. Um, and, uh, you know, many churches, the Roman Catholic Church in particular, hasn't moved has moved that marker. Um, so there's lots of, but, but I mean, if you look at Islam, if you look at Judaism, um, again, there's, as far as I know, um, because they in part started in my churches, Unity Mosque is the only uh, totally inclusive mosque that I'm aware of where women actually are imamas and actually lead worship where men and women sit together. Um, Fareen Khan started the Woman's Mosque in our church here at Trinity St. Paul's, um, which is an all-woman's mosque, but she started it because she felt that, you know, women needed a safe space. 
um, right at the corner at the Jewish Community Center, um, uh, the Sher Lebenu Synagogue was the first inclusive synagogue under Aviva Goldberg, wonderful woman, has been on my show a lot. Um, she's retired now. We have another cantor there. But again, they're worshiping here now for their high holy days. Um, but, and now there are a number of reform, you know, inclusive synagogues around the city. So, I mean, you, you're seeing people moving. And even in Buddhism, in Buddhism, again, you see you see inclusive aspects of Buddhism as practiced in the West in particular. Um, but and and I I've had the good fortune of meeting with the Dalai Lama a few times. And uh, at one of his talks, he said, you know, maybe the next, you know, Dalai Lama should be a woman, you know. So but again, we're talking about faiths that are a thousand, couple of thousand years kicking around, mm -hmm. you know, or in Judaism, you know, the oldest of, of, you know, one of the oldest next to Hinduism and the Vedic scriptures. So, I mean, these are faiths that have been around a long time. So and we've patriarchy has been around a long time. So so bit by bit, as patriarchy shifts, as culture shifts. You get these shifts, but um, but certainly we're we're if anything we're at the at the cutting edge, um, at parts of us, you know. And uh, but I think I think the perception of the the Christian right has gained a lot of media um, because they have a lot of money, and the and the backing behind them is has nothing to do with religion. The backing behind them has to do with political power, um, and so you have to kind of keep your you know, your religion and state separate a little bit. And, you know, state is very happy to use religion for its ends. But honestly, when I was in politics, I traveled all through the states, um, visiting various state representatives and governors and stuff. And I can tell you in every single, in all the Southern states, I looked for two markers against, at that point, the Iraq war and um, pro-same-sex marriage for a church that I would go worship in. I always found one that was busy, mm -hmm. that was full, that was mainline. Um, so they do exist. They just don't get the press and they don't have the backing of the Republican Party and all of the money that backs the Republican Party, right? I think what you're saying there about, you know, they don't get the press really sort of lands on where I landed on that question. I think that for folks who are looking to explore their faith and all you see is, you know, governments dragging their heels on conversion therapy and people saying, oh, we shouldn't ban conversion therapy, which was an actual conversation here in Canada, religious groups in Canada advocating against hey, it was my bill that banned it for the first time in Canada Absolutely. in 2015. But, and that came from the trans community, by the way, that that mm -hmm. call came from the trans community. So, I mean, it is banned here and it is banned across the country, but again, not enforced, right? Like I'm still hearing stories of it going on. So um, yeah, sorry, didn't mean to interrupt. It, I, yeah. I think my, my point sort of circles around to, it's hard to feel welcome when a lot of the news you see is not particularly welcoming. So my last question for you then is for folks who are, you know, it's Christmas time, for folks who are thinking about how they evolve and how they might want to explore faith, um, what advice would you give them for, look for, for the pride where flag. to look? Yeah, look for the pride flag flying outside the church. If you don't see it, don't go in. Um, our Christmas Eve service, our poster, which we haven't posted around and about yet, but it will be on social media somewhere. In fact, I should put it up soon. <laughs> um, but um, is of a black Madonna and child 
with a rainbow, you know, colors behind them in halo form, um, saying worship inclusively this Christmas. I mean, that's not unusual. We've done that for years, right? So, um, so look for the pride flag, just like you do for any other business or anything else you want to, you know, frequent. Um, look for an inclusive space. Um, they exist all over the place. Um, and if the church you're going to isn't that, walk across the street and find another one. I mean, it's really that simple. Or if the synagogue, or if the mosque, you know. Um, again, you know, it, it's the demand of the people in the pews, just like has happened in the Roman church. Um, this is this is what's going to change, you know, the the leadership. It's going to be the demand from the from the folk that go there and say, mm, no, you know, sorry, I can't go along with this anymore. And um, and I think we're seeing that. We're certainly seeing it in North America, but but I think we're seeing it internationally too. Well, I want to thank you so much for our, our, our conversation. It has been a busy year for folks of faith, uh, both globally and, of course, uh, also in Canada. Lots of things going on there. For folks who want to find out more, don't forget to catch The Radical Reverend out of CIUT-FM, where Sherry DeNovo interviews truly incredible people. Your, your roster of guests uh, certainly puts me to shame. So thank you again so much for your time today. No problem. And yeah, and come and visit us at Trinity St. Paul's, Spadina and Bloor. Coffee club.
and welcome back to Calgary, home of Canada's queer media. My name remains Luke Smith. And I'm Sebastian. And uh, during that interview, I mentioned that you were indisposed. We have undisposed you. Uh, yes. Very glad to have you joining us. Mm-hmm. You also just heard Living in Love by Jess Ray. There is a plan. You know how much we love plans and guidelines. A plan? If every time you I see a plan, a strategy, a report, yes. generally speaking, just documentation, we are always big fans of that. The New York City Department of Health and Mental Hygiene has issued guidance on how they are hoping, I mean, they're, they're really, really quite ambitious here, okay. to effectively remove or wipe out sexually transmitted infections amongst gay and bisexual men. Okay. How are they going to accomplish that? That's a, that's a tolerative. Especially since there's quite a few that go dormant for years on end. Most famously syphilis. You can catch syphilis and have zero symptoms until, was it like one to 40 years later? Like there are some wild diseases out there. They uh, released a document. It's it's a lovely document. It's uh, it's only five pages. I, I you know, but it is what it is. So they have a plan to use, oh my gosh, I'm going to maybe butcher the pronunciation of this. Doxycycline post-exposure prophylaxis. Okay. Doxyprep. So okay. doxycycline, 200 milligrams, has, if, it, if you have it within 24 to 72 hours of sex without a condom, it's been shown to significantly the occurrence of syphilis, chlamydia, and gonorrhea amongst cisgendered men who have sex with men and trans women as well. So they are really just hoping that by rolling out doxyprep, doxycycling post-exposure prophylactics, Mm -hmm. laxis, doxyprep is how I'm going to just refer to it from now on because it's quite difficult to say as a medical word. But yeah, that's essentially it. They are hoping to make it available as a healthcare measure. You know, okay. if you've gone and had um, uh, intimate relations, mm-hmm. we should use that phrase. A night of indiscretion. A night of indiscretion. With um, a gentleman caller. With, yes, we're all of the euphemisms. Uh, <laughs> but after your, your indiscreet evening with a gentleman caller, as long as in the next one to three days, you, you know, find uh, an appropriate pharmacy or, or um, healthcare provider and get access to doxypep is uh, they believe going to be a huge uh, effective tool to drop the overall rate of syphilis, gonorrhea, and chlamydia. Now, hmm. will this solve and cure the problem? Probably not. Yeah. But what I think they're banking on is if enough people take this medication once they've been exposed to it uh, mm-hmm. by exposing themselves, mm-hmm. then they will stop the the uh, sort of incidence rates of it. Yep. If there are less people marauding fewer. around, you're right, there aren't lesser people just because they have gonorrhea. If there are fewer people <laughs> uh-huh. marauding around with gonorrhea, uh-huh. then fewer people are likely to catch it. And yes. slowly... Eventually, mm-hmm. we can kind of, you know, have that trending downwards towards zero. Yeah, those so, those diseases are all bacterial. And uh, mm-hmm. bacterial diseases, their transmission is kind of funny that way. Like bacterial infections, actually fungal infections as well, are are really weird in that sometimes you just fight off. Like you, there could be some deadly flesh-eating bacteria that you just lick right off a po- lollipop and nothing happens to you. 
And if you can drop the exposure, then just the the randomness, the the noise of how many people get exposed to something and catch nothing, that mm. alone will sort of overtake the spread, and the overall number will will spread will shrink over time. Even if only let's say, it, let's say half of the population is very compliant with it, that's enough to to make a downward slope. Not a strong downward slope as everyone taking it, but you'll get a downward slope. I mean, it also, I think, will help with what has been coined super gonorrhea, mm -hmm. which is gonorrhea with a cape. Um, but no, it, it's a uh, antibiotic-resistant gonorrhea. We, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a major issue and uh, has emerged in a few isolated cases here and there. Mm -hmm. But if the prevalence overall in the yeah. community of gonorrhea goes down, then the chances of a super gonorrhea <laughs> also go down with it. Or yes. rather, antibacterial resistant strain of gonorrhea will also go down with it. Yeah. Now, the CDC rolled out a proposal in 2023 in October. I believe we mentioned it in October. As far as I'm aware, right now, Health Canada has not rolled out similar guidance yet in Canada. However, mm -hmm. the uh, New York City uh, Health Department, I think, is the first one now to look at the use of doxycycline post-exposure prophylactics, or doxypep, as uh, an effective tool here. Um, so we'll keep an eye out. Will yep. this be the end of supergonorrhea? Uh, we shall see. In other news, the other news. individual who committed one of the most horrific mass murders against LGBT folks at the Club Q in Colorado Springs back in November 2022 has pled guilty to 74 charges Ooh. and 50 federal hate, uh, 74 charges, sorry, of which are 50 federal hate crimes and 24 firearms violations. Now, this individual, I'm not going to name him, was potentially facing the death sentence, mm -hmm. um, but in a plea agreement, that will not be the case. He is likely to serve a, I think he has multiple concurrent life sentences and another 190 year prison sentence on top of that that's always yeah. boggled my mind about the united states we you're you're sentenced to prison for five billion years and it's like okay yeah. well i'm not a vampire like that's i mean yeah <laughs> i was gonna say eggs on their face if they're a chupacabra this is true this is yeah. true but yeah no he um essentially pled guilty i'm on the fence here what the crime he committed was utterly horrific 19 yeah. sorry five people were killed and 19 people were injured in the shooting yeah absolutely horrific it was hate motivated but by pleading guilty it's not you know th these things are going to be dragged out in court the families are sort of spared that and i think he gets to keep his life that seems to be the the bargain that has been brokered mm -hmm. um with prosecutors so yeah, pretty big day on um, in terms of the the justice on on that front. Uh, what about yourself? Have you uh, seen anything uh, coming up in the world of news? I have, but just a a story that we're keeping an eye on that we may come back to in the future. And it's just sort of a a, a larger report on the sort of declining quality of healthcare that a lot of LG, LGBTQ people in Canada are reporting. That um, there's just a sort of a trend of of doctors not really listening to the symptoms and really just saying, "Oh, you are a 
a whatever, then the the problem's there. Like, oh, you're trans, then it must be the hormones you're taking. Oh, you're gay, it must be an STI. But we'll we'll get to that in a, a later week as more information comes in. Um, I want to mention that Huang Xi, uh, who is a member of the Democratic Progressive Party of Taiwan, oh, um, yes. has been elected. She is uh, purportedly the first ever openly LGBTQ uh, legislator in Taiwan. Also, we heard some grumblings out of Greece. Um, I think we'd mentioned before that Greece is looking at uh, introducing same-sex marriage, much to the chagrin of the Greek Orthodox Church. However, the uh, official party in power as well now, and this is what came out recently, a statement from the official opposition party, both are agreed on introducing legislation to create uh, same-sex marriage. And then also in Europe this week, big news as 397 uh, European parliamentarians, or the Europe, the Parliament of Europe, sorry, with 121 against, passed a motion asking the Council of Europe to introduce legislation around hate crimes and hate speech in Europe. This will need to be drafted, it'll need to be written and, and created, but essentially some countries in Europe, such as Ireland and a few others, don't have any protections in place against uh, hate speech um, and uh, hate crimes. And there's been a massive spike in hate speech and hate crimes, um, mm -hmm. although really, I don't know if they would be hate crimes if they're not criminalized, but you, you get what I mean, across Europe. So yeah, the EU appears to be gearing up to address that issue across the continent. Uh, yeah, lots going on. Mm -hmm. Absolutely lots going on. Closing out, I have a very uh, fluffy story. Subwoofer has been unmasked. Oh, the um, give my wolf a banana. Um, yes, the thing. Eurovision, Eurovision duo who did not speak and only sang and they showed up in masks. It is such a, a fluffy story, but it was two previous contestants in Eurovision. So it was Gauta Armosan and uh, from Norway and Ben Adams from England, who's also in the boy band A1. And they wrote oh, this wow. goofy, they wrote this goofy song. They couldn't find anyone to perform it for them. And they realized they had to do it themselves. So they talked. I mean, it was it, 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 it was a banger. Like it was one of my favorite tracks. And it was so goofy. <laughs> it is give my give that wolf a banana or give my wolf a banana uh, by uh, is it Subwoofer? Yes, Subwoofer. Uh, absolutely fantastic yeah. band, hilarious. Um, well, I would like to mention that uh, Ireland has announced their entry to Eurovision. Mm. Um, I didn't think I'd mention Eurovision this week, but I am yes. mentioning it this week. Um, yes. And it's, I believe, one of the first non-binary uh, identified contestants in the in the Eurovision um, oh. that is competing and representing Ireland. However, I yes. do believe that we have run out of time. Oh, have we? We will be playing out with our last track of the day. So earlier we had Living in Love by Jess Ray. Mm -hmm. And uh, we will be playing out with, with Too Much by Wave for Mountain. And uh, I have been Luke Smith. And I've been Sebastian. And thank you for listening. Mm -hmm.